0: Hello and welcome to episode 23 of The Figure Podcast. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future, presented by Georgia Parkin and Charlotte Lorimer. And we are coming to you this week after having a hiatus of sorts. I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> glad as well. It's, it's weird to be out of the swing of it actually. It's really strange. Mm. And
1: In the light of that, we are not going to talk about everything that we've been up to in the Mm. last two weeks. We're going to give our recommendations in the intro. Yes. So, G,
0: kick us off. What are your recommendations that you've discovered in the last few weeks? Okay, so I think it's fair to say that I have been obsessed with a podcast called Where Shall We Begin? by Esther Perel, which I know has people have already been speaking about this for such a long time but I, I've i had it downloaded to listen I, to for so long it's it's a bit weird when you first start listening to it because it's a real couple in real life talking about their real experiences and you just so it feels it like, a bit freaky it feels like you're seeing someone naked like you're just like I shouldn't be listening to this so did you feel like a actual fly on the wall in a therapy session yeah,
1: 100% how do they get consent to record that
0: I don't know i mean it's anonymous you don't know any details about them and sometimes if you they... were having
1: something recorded in that context would you let it be recorded um does it get really
0: personal yeah yeah oh yeah gosh yeah <laughs> but it's so, <laughs> it's i think what it is is it's so relatable like even more so than couples therapy which is another one of my favorite podcasts um and I love it because it's just even if it's just an episode of them bickering, you're just you're just like God. I love that they are showing what actually it is like to be in a couple. Like it's not just mm. you know fine and dandy all the time. Like these these real life issues happen and or any relationship for that matter. Because yeah, I think that any relationship, any relationship, any are relationship, are also up and down. Mm. But I think when it's your when it's sort of a, in a context of a life partner i think what it really reinstated for me which i think that i've found the last five years is that if you're in a relationship with someone the most significant thing is like it's it's like pulling up a mirror to yourself Mm. every day and that's what comes across in in the podcast so sometimes it's a bit painful to listen to you, you just think oh Oh my god. But it's it's so confronting when you're when you're in a relationship with someone else who's that close to you. If you're you. single is it is it is it as compelling? Uh, p- absolutely. I mean it's compelling by any stretch because it's it's relationships generally. I really like Esther. Est- also Est- if you're Est- a bit nosy then it's great. Oh my god, I would love and it. So nosy as well. Great. So on some of the episodes you you can just be like I can't. I cannot believe I'm listening to this. This is just so interesting. It's like when you hear about what people, I don't know, do on the weekend or eat for breakfast. You just get this satisfaction. Totally. It's quite like that. Speaking of eating for breakfast, this is the mm. first question
1: that uh is on t- Talking Taste buds, which we've recommended before in the past. Have you listened
0: to more of it? I've listened I've got on on a real it's amazing, Talking isn't Taste it? buds. It's amazing. Just role, it's been I've great I've listened to every single episode and I listen to them weekly now Like I've... it's
1: kind of been my um happy podcast now that the series 3 of Happy Mum Happy Baby is over it's I so completely sad. understand yeah. so I've listened to Dolly Alderton which is very good as always Um I listened to Jasmine Hemsley all about Ayurvedic medicine and thinking, that's what got
0: me into it really
1: good, which we will cover at some point on mm-hmm. the podcast to explain more about what that is
0: and what was the other one that I listened to? I have so many favorites from that from that podcast. Prue Leith was one of my favorites. Um, she uh, started the Leith School of like cooking school, which is one of the most famous in the world. Where my brother yeah to do a cooking school. her voice is just oh, it, Do you like Bake Off? It sounds like pudding. <laughs> 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 um, I don't watch Bake Off. I just really enjoyed listening. Have you seen listening.
1: her on Bake Off? No. Haven't I haven't seen a single episode with her? Nope. She has great glasses and, like, lovely colour clashes. I didn't even know really what she looked like before the I listened to
0: it. The... Because, you know, it's one of those podcasts where it doesn't matter who the guest is. Mm-hmm. You listen because you like the podcast and the host. Totally. And that's, for me, what it is. So I don't even know what she
1: does Totally. Like. I've remembered who it was, the other one. Anna Jones, who is one of my favourite... Oh, yes. A modern way to cook. People. She's so good. She's yeah. She's a vegetarian cook but her food isn't all about being vegetarian Mm -hmm. in that it's much more about the flavors Mm -hmm. the sharing and the importance of food of how you are when you eat it and who you are with Mm -hmm. and she's just brilliant she worked with jamie oliver for a
0: really long time so if anyone likes to eat or likes food listen to talking taste buds because you'll be hooked for sure definitely
1: my other podcast recommendation which we've also spoken about before, is Ways to Change the World. Listen to Jacqueline Gold, who is the CEO of Anne Summers, who also did a Desert Island disc recently. Whoa, CEO of Anne Summers. Okay, my—that's all I'm gonna say. Everyone just has to go and
0: listen to it. My memory of Anne Summers was when you walk past it, you're like, hee, that's (laughs) Anne Summers, and then someone pushes you into the shop, and they run away, and you're just left there in an Anne Summers shop when you're about 14, and it's all very funny and inappropriate. And then when you go in, if you're older, you just think, oh, this is just. Like what's the book? again, it's that, that thing about shame and sex and all of that stuff yeah, that comes up it's with Anne so Summers. Good. Anne Summers is interesting that way, and I always remember seeing it as oh my god, I can't believe that's Anne Summers, like I can't look at it in the eye mm. kind of thing when I was But what I
1: think is most interesting is that she has flipped it from being a very uh, male brand before mm-hmm. she came along, um, to being all about female sexual empowerment.
0: Complete. And I thought that was my just, age that changed that. Just but that listen to the it and you'll hear changed. about how she did
1: it. It's yeah. really good. Both Desert Island Discs and Ways to Change the World okay. with Krishnam Guru Murthy, Murthy. Yeah. And Laura Bates, who's the founder of Everyday Sexism, also absolutely brilliant on that podcast. The other recommendations that I wanted to add were um, an article about BPD, which is Borderline Personality Disorder, mm. which featured Anna McGrain, who we've spoken about on this podcast before, who is the um, director of the film Lyra, which is all about mental health. And that is now available to watch online. So we will link this. It's a really good article. I really recommend that you have a read of that um, through the Sunday Times. So it will be behind a paywall, I guess but hopefully some people read it when it was in the papers as well. It was about the term borderline personality disorder and how it's not a very helpful label and that you can feel... scary, doesn't it? Exactly. Mm. And I think it also doesn't really explain what it's about and it's not been normalised. I don't know if that's the right word, but something Mm. like autism or there are other terms which feel... Yeah,
0: depression Easier. Do you know or, what I mean? You know, yeah, there's absolutely. So
1: that's what Anna has been speaking about and that's a really great piece. And then the other ones are from uh, Suzanne Ramsey, who I saw when I was at home, who's a teacher in a primary school and she's been teaching all of the children about environmental issues and I loved hearing about what she's been going over with them. And we talked all about um, the changes that she's been making in her life to try and cut down on plastic and do her bit for the environment and she gave some really recommend- good recommendations i'd like to pass on which were getting a bamboo toothbrush so not yeah. having a plastic toothbrush anymore because that's a huge problem and also getting bamboo
0: razors yeah margaret already has those. which you can get from and by margaret i mean maggie sorry maggie. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah she has those she's had them for a while yeah and i hadn't really mm. i
1: could sort of thought about it but i didn't really do anything about it so now i'm going to do that i think you can get them from bulldog so I think it's a male brand, but male razors work just as well for yeah,
0: no they do females. Also on that note, um, I think something that I was thinking about in the last couple of weeks, um, and I don't know if you may have experienced this in travelling, but why is it that we still do things that we know aren't good for us or good for the planet? In general. Yeah, you know when you're. I'm sorry. I was in Pret even this morning. I was in Pret. I was getting a porridge and. Below was a, you know, those little pots of uh, nuts and raisins, and they're in a... Which are in plastic. Plastic, which is a totally useless plastic pot. You can't even reuse it, but it's just going to go into a... But I I bought it anyway because I wanted the nuts and seeds. Like, what... That's so annoying. It is. Or going into Zara and I really want this handbag that's like £20. And I know that it's probably not good. Yeah. But I want to buy it.
1: I know what you mean. I watched the Stacey Dooley documentary all about the cotton industry and the amount of plastic that goes into the water because Mm. of fashion and how destructive it can be and its impact on the environment so bad and i went shopping on sunday and i went into loads of charity shops every single charity shop i walked past i went into because i really wanted to i love charity like charity shopping anyway Mm. because it's cheaper and it's better for the environment because you're taking it out you're not adding a new thing and you're voting with your wallet basically but i still didn't find what i wanted and then Mm. i ended up going into zara and i bought what i wanted from zara and I do feel kind of guilty about right. it. Which so, means right. I will wear that dress a lot because I've got mm. to because I've got to make it count.
0: Yeah. I never shop ever. And then when I do, I just feel terrible about it. Or yeah. I always try and not buy things with plastic in them. And then when I do, I just, I can't help but beat myself up about it. But I suppose just reducing generally mm.
1: is the I think
0: positive. the fact that we're even having those thoughts in the first place
1: is mm. a step in the right direction. And it does just take, I don't know, discipline? Yeah. And maybe a bit more forward thinking as well to think if I don't make my lunch, I may end up buying a salad which is in plastic for you. Or a
0: sandwich because Prep now have their Christmas sandwiches back and they're so good. Oh, highly recommend the very merry recommendation (laughs) Very merry Christmas lunch. It is a vegan sandwich. It is unbelievably good. The first figure
1: that we are going to be talking about this week is a difficult one to talk about in several minutes, but we're going to give it a go. Leonardo da Vinci, who was <laughs> an artist, engineer, scientist, musician, inventor, mathematician, philosopher, I could go on and a on. polymath. He was a polymath. That is the perfect word to describe him. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this, and I think that, I have a real passion for people and projects and pieces of writing that are about bringing lots of different things together Do you that think are quite he was the
0: often... multi-hyphen method but 500 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I I don't
1: <laughs> like boxing things into separate sections. I like bringing things together that you are often separated. So this is why I love the multi-hyphen method, which was written by Emma Gannon, and it's all about having different streams to your career. This is why I love people like Alexander McQueen, who mm-hmm. I see as an artist as a whole, because he thought about the concept, he thought about the craft, he thought about the wider message of it, and he had, like fashion is something that just brings together drawing and sculpture and texture and all sorts of different mm-hmm. areas into one thing. Right. The Renaissance in general, all about bringing philosophy, science, art, music, all of these different strands into something that was going to be about learning and elevation of like man, and rebirth, and rebirth. And the final thing was fantasy at Vienna, which is what I did my dissertation on, and it was a kind of Renaissance in Vienna in Austria, and they had organizations and um well the succession was the one that I looked at in particular with Gustav Klimt and Egon Schiele and all sorts of musicians philosophers scientists they all were working together and talking and I Mm -hmm. love that bringing together and for me this is why Leonardo da Vinci I think it's so fascinating
0: because he brings all of those streams together yeah definitely um and also like you said at that time I think there was so much collaboration in terms of Because people were, it's so weird. When you look back on that time, you think people didn't even know, you know, how the human body works. You know, they didn't know anything. They didn't even know what a a pathogen was or what disease was. What is a pathogen? Or anything. I mean, a a pathogen is a disease-causing microorganism. Oh my God, I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) That's from History of Medicine, GCSE. (laughs) Thank you, Miss Boone. I still remember it. Um... Um, and actually, that's when I first was introduced to Leonardo da Vinci properly. Um, obviously, I'd seen the Mona Lisa, I'd seen the Last Supper, um, and it wasn't until... In the flesh or photographs? Uh, photographs. Have um, you seen either of them in the flesh? I've seen the Mona Lisa in the flesh, in the Louvre.
1: Tangent, but what did you think? It's small. Small.
0: Everyone <laughs> says that. That's very small. Um, and there were so many things in the Louvre that were just just I guess more extravagant mm. um what I think I want to ask you is I think you know the Mona Lisa is something that he is closely identified with so I want to ask you why is that image so famous it's a rebirth in itself and in every generation I mean every I mean it doesn't get boring why
1: I looked at this when I was at school and sure I did, did my extended essay for IB uh on the Mona Lisa and on the birth of Venus by Sandro Botticelli so two Renaissance paintings and I looked at why they were so famous and what made people so attracted to them mm. so with the Mona Lisa I think that something that is really important for that painting in particular is the context of it that that painting was stolen in 1911 in 1956 it had acid thrown at it In 1960 it was slashed or attempted to be slashed and as a result it's now behind bulletproof glass. I don't think that there's any other painting that's behind bulletproof glass. And then it also had parodies of it. So in So many, like the God Save the Queen one as well, across the skies. Yeah, yeah. and um, Marcel Duchamp, who was a surrealist artist, did the moustache on the Mona Lisa Mm -hmm. as a kind of mocking high art. So I think that you have to remember those physical things that happened to that in particular painting. But in the context of Leonardo, I think that there's... Leonardo did so many different things with his life he had the equivalent of 120 books Mm -hmm. and only a third of them survived Mm. so we don't even know so much that he he wrote and thought about but he's on a totally different level to other artists and this is what you see with something like the salvador mundi which was Mm -hmm. the painting of christ which was sold for 450 million dollars oh my god i mean that goes beyond any other painting that has ever come on the market and martin kemp who's a kind of leonardo expert that i've met so interesting chatting to him was just saying how he's in a totally different league of his own Mm. but in terms of the actual painting the mona lisa i think it's about the psychology of this particular person and how it's communicated and i would also echo that Philip Mould, who's another art historian who I also met recently, which was fantastic, talked about how portraits are more about the
0: artist than they are about the subject. But also there's a mystery behind the woman, isn't there? Yeah. Like people so don't know who she is or <clears throat> mm-hmm. why she's there, or mm-hmm. why she has that. She almost has an expression that's sort of effortlessly confident, but also very mysterious yeah. at the same time.
1: So I think that there's the mystery of Leonardo gets wrapped in the mystery of her. Mm-hmm. There's the context. Of, there's the yeah. context of it of yeah. that painting, and then there's just this Leonardo mm-hmm. hype yeah. that is focalized on this one famous portrait. And then this is, and then the another thing about context is that she. The patron who commissioned this, who was the husband of Lisa Garandini, who is believed to be the woman in this painting, Mm -hmm. never received the painting. Mm. Leonardo carried it with him for his whole life. Mm. And something that I wrote about in my essay was that um, Giorgio Vasari was in the Renaissance. He talked all about the artists at the time and he said that Leonardo had never finished a painting So what I thought, well, maybe this was the one painting that Leonardo Mm. actually thought he had finished and therefore he couldn't let it go. Mm. Or did he just think that it was never finished throughout his entire lifetime? Kept kept adding to it. Kept adding to it and kept it with him. Yeah.
0: Um, And then built this character. mm. Well, the first time that I came across Leonardo da Vinci, I guess, seriously, other than Mona Lisa, um, was actually studying my history of medicine course at um, GCC, and, um, I wish I'd been able to do that that sounded so interesting brilliant. Um, and you look at all the you know the the scientists at the time you know you have William Harvey and you have um, amazing work in the medical school at Padua at Alexandria there was so many interesting art and science were so entwined at that time mm. um, I still believe they are but particularly in the renaissance because you kind of couldn't have one without the other in a certain way of think, you know if you think about <clears> it and Because you had to draw your discoveries. Right. Yeah. Right. And science... So there's a famous quote by Leonardo da Vinci that says that science comes by observation, not by authority. Um, and essentially, that's mm. exactly what he did. And mm. he was one of the first people to uh, carry out... I guess a lot of people would have been carrying out dissection on the sly. Um, but he did that in order to understand truly the structure and function of the anatomy and then created the first drawings that medical students used in mm. order to learn how to be doctors is because he did. I mean, he used to go into crypts in churches in the middle of the night illegally, and yeah. you know, cut up bodies and and draw them. Yeah. One of the most famous is the one, the two images of the fetus in the womb. It's one of my favorites. It's beautiful. It's and absolutely he's got stunning, so, and it's it's incredibly accurate. Yeah. But it also incredibly. Um, what's the word? I mean, he would have been controversial. Controversial. Controversial, Really controversial. And it meant that he could go to these medical conferences and his work was spread across the world and so many, you know, doctors were able to use his work. Mm. Um, A question I wanted to put forward to you is in my research of Leonardo da Vinci, and we've kind of touched really briefly on some of his work, um, was his personal life seemed to be fairly non-existent I mean they kind of use the term secretive Mm -hmm. but my take on it is can you be all of these things and have any time to develop a personal life and it doesn't seem like he did oh that's such an interesting question
1: I think his personal life was all about his discoveries and his curiosity
0: and that's what he was wanting to do with his life. You know, for example, someone like Elon Musk, right, Mm. who does this and this and this. Mm. Those things are a part of his life would you What
1: would you be dying to know about
0: his personal life that we don't know? It's not that I'm dying to know about his personal life. I just think that it's, it's this sort of, I don't want there to be an illusion that, you know, you have people that are just geniuses and they are, they are just incredibly talented and there's Mm. something about them you know whatever it is but I don't want I almost feel like it would be a bit naive to say okay you can be one of the greatest thinkers and philosophers and artists that's ever lived and you've also got this amazing relationship with your family you have a great oh, home I life, see what you mean okay you have a life partner and it's just perfect it's like can what, you have one it? does one have to sacrifice for the other
1: Oh, that's such yeah really interesting thing to consider but i don't think that leonardo would have seen
0: it as a sacrifice i don't and do those sorts of people see it you know do, mm. maybe they don't see it that way well the latest... and is it okay to yeah. not be like is it okay to not be a genius and a polymath if you want to have a home and a family and you want to raise that family because that in a way is a polymath you're juggling about a that's very, the time, true, very you know? true but we laud like, someone like da Vinci yeah. or Elon Musk as this super genius but actually yeah. they would have had nothing else that they were well, coping with
1: the latest biography of him touches on some aspects of his personal life and describes him as a vegetarian slash vegan which I think is interesting awesome.
0: all <laughs> the most intelligent people are can I just say <laughs> Albert Einstein was the same, Steve Jobs is the same Rumour has it that Jesus was also vegetarian. <laughs> I'm sure a vegetarian wrote that. <laughs> um, they also talk about him and as... And Charles Darwin, and Yuval Harari, and all these amazing people. Anyway, continue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, they also talk about him as a homosexual, which mm-hmm. I hadn't ever read in
0: explicit terms. Oh, I always thought it was implied. Because yeah. he never married a woman, or had relationships True. with women. True. Which I wonder
1: if, if that it, it, does that play into why his portraits of women are so extraordinary because mm. they had a different relationship from not having sexual
0: interest in each other. That's very possibly that's another tension. When you think, look at Picasso' image of a woman,
1: yeah, it's very different.
0: <laughs> very different.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> but obviously in in those times, if you were a homosexual and you had a life partner adopting children having a family as it is that didn't today happen. not
0: a thing. that doesn't no, happen in those
1: times so i think that is an
0: aspect mm-hmm. which is different in terms of him well maybe maybe that's another aspect maybe that's why he didn't have a personal life you know maybe he thought you know mm. i'm actually just going to dedicate you know a lot of men at that time would have become priests or would have you know married mm. a woman anyway it's just not yeah talked about those yeah. sorts of things intriguing i, I kind of was just like i want to know what i what what is someone who's that amazing what what is in their mind what are mm. they like what makes them? well tick? I
1: think that what's so interesting do with they some... sleep
0: three hours a night because they just yeah. can't possibly turn off
1: well I think that what's interesting about great artists is that you can learn so much more about them through looking at their art mm. because they say so much about themselves in the brush strokes and what they do and what they choose to bring out and mm. the way that they position the people that they're painting. Literally, you could
0: say the same about an invent, you know, you could say the same about Steve Jobs and Apple, you could say the same about Elon Musk Completely. and SpaceX Completely. and where their brains are going. I mean, yeah. it's just it's kind of, it's just relative to the time, mm. the brushstroke was the mm. iPad, you know but actually if you think about an iPad, ha- imagine inventing an iPad like yeah. I even remember when the iPad came out, I was like what? It's a it's a flat thing that you press? <laughs> yeah. Is this a joke? <laughs> you know, and it would have been the same with you know Leonardo da Vinci and all of the things that. Well, he was so ahead of his time. So ahead of
1: his and time. And for
0: anybody who's really interested in the scientific
1: and spiritual aspect of his work, is um, there's a book by Fritz of Capra, which I would really recommend. I sat next to him at an event that my dad oh, wow. was doing and I had just been to Venice and Florence on my own and I had totally submerged myself in everything Leonardo I'd been to an exhibition in Venice which I saw the Vitruvian man which is a very famous image of the man Mm. in the circle and the square it's all about the golden ratio and the proportion of the body and how fascinated he was about that and then I went to Florence and I watched a really interesting documentary about Leonardo so I was so full of knowledge and then I just subtly made sure that I sat next to him and totally totally quizzed him on everything but his book is brilliant and my favorite part of it is this timeline where it talks about what leonardo was looking at in geology in the flight of birds and looking at that or arteries in the heart yeah lots of different aspects and then it shows when he was talking about it and then when it was actually discovered quote Mm -hmm. unquote in the rest of the world and who found that after leonardo had so it just shows, it puts into a very visual way how ahead of his time he was. That's fantastic.
0: The second figure is that we supposedly have between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts per day. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Nice <laughs> a of meta question to get us going. Uh, I think first. We... Sorry, I really cracked myself. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, <laughs> uh, there are questionable sources to where this stat comes okay, from.
0: Regardless of where it comes from or not. I'm, I'm I okay, think but we can I all agree that, that we have a ton We have of, a ton
1: of thoughts, but a ton how of thoughts. did they get this number? That's what I'm
0: confused. Count. about. count. I mean that's what I wanna know is if someone also, what, sat for a whole day and was just what with a, a as clicker one
1: single thought. I don't know. Because where does one thought end and another one begins? How do you tell? Mm mm no idea and when you're thinking a lot and if you say to people yeah I've been thinking a lot over mm. the last
0: week what does that mean? what does it
1: mean? and is it that you've been having lots of or is it that you've been having the
0: that is very physical so you feel it in your stomach you think you're a butterfly you know when you're really nervous about something yeah thinking about all the ways it's going to go wrong or thinking what people are going to say and you just you just feel completely outdone by it Mm -hmm. then there's another type of thinking now when you're on the tube and there's a really attractive person sitting opposite you do you not? If you're lucky enough to both be sitting down. Do you not? Yes. Do you not have a flash of this person's really attractive? Yeah, of course. Do, do you have a fla- Do you have a thought about what they would sound like?
1: For yes. Example.
0: Do you have a thought of what they would be with less clothing on? Uh, I don't always jump straight to that. <laughs> so I put down on my notes. <laughs> For thoughts, I put crazy... These, I love that these are your two categories. <coughs> these are my two categories. You're like, anxious thoughts. Yeah, and... or sexual thoughts. <laughs> but it's not just sexual. So in the sexual category, you have the crazy thoughts. You have this maybe fleeting suicidal thoughts. I think a lot of people would... Um, You know, you're standing on a train platform. Sometimes, of course, you think, oh my God, what if I just jumped? Like, that would be it. My life would be over. Or you're on a really busy road and you have your headphones in and you don't really notice. And then suddenly you're like, oh my God, I could have.
1: I think it's a very weird aspect of the modern world that it feels like there are so many moments where you could change
0: your entire life so quickly but you're thinking about that but you won't do it as it's happening and it's not exactly the same with the sexual thing or the crazy thing you're like of course i'm not going to do that yeah or or of course i'm not going to but you know you walk past the shop and you think i really want to buy some of this and you think about it and then you know by the time you've walked past it it's long gone and another thought enters your mind Mm. and what kind of thoughts will carry over to the next day, or carry over overnight, or Mm. appear in your dreams sometimes. It's so hard to understand why we think the way we do. It is. And also, your mind is such a... Like, one of the... Okay, other than someone seeing me with no clothes on, which I also have (laughs) to really psych myself up for, I feel like if someone was to jump inside my brain, that would be even worse, because... All of your vulnerabilities, You'd be much more naked, much more naked, because all of your vulnerabilities and all the things that you're thinking about all the time are there. And sex, and suicide, and you know, crazy or whatever the category you want to put it. Those all, those things all come with vulnerabilities because we're going to be showing people things about ourselves that we may feel a certain way about, mm. and that's why when thoughts are racing through your mind, those are the ones that you probably don't want people to know about.
1: Yeah. Question: mm. Did Edward Cullen's superpower of being able to read your mind terrify you, or intrigue you, or how did it make you feel when you are reading those twi- that Twilight series so many years ago?
0: What an interesting question! I didn't expect this. Um, and <laughs> actually, now I think about it, I really did not care. I was just, I was just very attracted to him, so I didn't really mind. I find it,
1: I find it quite I, scary. I didn't
0: even think about it. Now I think about it, it's completely weird, and I would hate it. Hate it. And actually, I think this is going to link in quite nicely to our last section. But why was I so forgiving of that superpower? <laughs> That's awfully creepy. Like, I don't want anyone to be able to read my thoughts Yeah, incredible... When I was younger, I just thought, oh my God, marry me.
1: And also there's an incredible imbalance there with the male in that relationship
0: having that power and the female not. That's quite true, but you could also flip it on its line and be like, she could have been a vampire that was, you know, it just happened to be the male female situation, but she could have been the one that. But it does feel like he
1: has a lot more power over her. Mm. And the same with Fifty Shades of Grey, it's always about like, he is the
0: power figure. The thing about Edward Cullen is that he actively made the choice to do good with his power. Totally, yeah. So, Mm. yeah. But anyway, we digress.
1: (laughs) So, Um, another question. Yeah. Your first and last thoughts of the day, Mm. are they often the same thought? And do they stay the same
0: a long period of time? Or do they change every day? Um, good question. I think my first and last thoughts are often the same, and it's things I need to do. As boring as that sounds. Mm. I think my first and last thoughts are, oh, I should probably do this, or I need to do this, or what's the time? Or have I slept in? oh, I probably should send that in the morning, or I probably should do this in the morning. There's a lot of shoulds. Whereas all the other, like, like the random ones where you're thinking about a train or you're thinking about... uh, That happens more in the middle of the day Mm. where I think I'm a bit stiller because I'm forced to be.
1: Do you think you have very different thoughts in the morning and at night?
0: I want to say yes, but I don't think so. I, I definitely think I do. I don't think my thoughts are the same. I mean, I think they are. Sorry, this similar in the morning and the evening. It's more practical mm. because in the morning and the evening, you're sort of working your way up to something. So you're working your way up to getting out of the house and going to work. And mm-hmm. the evening, you're working your way, you know, into bed wherever that yeah. is from. Whereas in the middle of the day, I think is where I find myself most stagnant. So I might find myself an odd fifteen minutes where I maybe don't have something urgent to do, mm. and then. Those kind of weird thoughts enter my mind.
1: Another question. In the time off that we've both had from work and from doing the podcast, have you noticed a difference in your thoughts and how much time you've got to think and
0: how have you coped with that? If coped is the right word. I think what it is is you have more free time. So it's been, because it's been time away you don't have your usual routine and in our usual routine we have the podcast which means that your evenings in a week tend to be quite few mm. we are not doing anything and i think it's difficult to have to sit with certain feelings and feel as though um Maybe those sort of things flood your mind, and actually, my way of coping with that—if I really don't really want to be on my own—is I always have something on in the background: Mm. TV show, a podcast, yeah, something.
1: Podcast is a really interesting one with me, thinking about thinking, Mm. because same with really good films. If I'm really concentrating and I really like it, I will be repeating in my head what I'm listening to, which helps me to absorb the information but Mm. it also means that my mind isn't drifting and wandering to other things Mm. but then at the same time i found that when i was at home in scotland on holiday i wasn't listening to podcasts and i had so much time to think about everything else that i found it it quite difficult yeah and coming back to london i was busy aware of being very overstimulated in terms of there's so many adverts everywhere and there's millions of things to read on the tube and there's mm. so many faces and I could feel myself being, like, razzed up by that. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, what I a was... a great word, razzed, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to things and went to see Bohemian Rhapsody. That was the most emotional journey of a film I've ever seen. Really? It, honestly, it was so good. Worst Molly and I was... me. Oh, no, no, very different in terms of emotional. Okay. Okay. As in, I felt the anxiety the highs the my heart beating out of my chest when they were about to go onto stage and all of that I just I was so absorbed within that film Mm. and I really appreciated that because it was a total escape and I think yeah sometimes you need a relief from your own head by listening to or watching something and absorbing other people's words Mm. while you're doing that
0: does that make sense? Absolutely I think that's that you've just in my in my opinion, you've summarised why people have addictions. Mm. That's precisely what it is. You want to escape from your own head. You want to escape from your own thoughts. Mm. You want to escape from the overstimulation that is our life at the moment. And, and some, mm. and, and, and that can be a um, but then, an escape for a lot of people. On a different side, which I guess actually sometimes comes into
1: addictions because lots of addictive personalities are also creative people. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing life drawing or... I'm creating some kind of poster or I'm drawing with my goddaughter and my godson. I completely lose track of time and mm. I love it. And it's this total bliss of focus. And so creativity for me is another thing that I don't do enough of and I should do more of, but it gives my head that time where there's so many times where I'm just so anxious and I'm thinking about everything and I just want to switch my brain off like yeah. a, tv yeah. especially when i'm before i'm going to bed yeah and meditation actually can help with that but i've yeah i haven't been very good at doing that recently and the jasmine hensley podcast on talking taste buds says i'm going to try and get back into it because yeah. it is really good for me so good but yeah creativity and meditation and just trying to focus on one thing and also
0: similar to what she talks about in that podcast which kind of links back to thoughts is you know when she said that thing about on the way back from a night out she doesn't look at her phone And I remember thinking is she mad like what would you do on the tube on the way home from a night out but she said that stimulation and that blue screen and your all your brain wants to do is kind of wind down you probably had a bit of alcohol you're probably tired you the last thing you should be doing is scrolling through a blue screen you need to switch that off and she said something like an hour or something before you go to bed or two hours before and i think that's actually really good because a lot of the time why we're hypersensitized and like stimulated is because we're constantly having messages pinged to yeah. us yeah but also i time.
1: definitely think i have different and um more exaggerated and probably more negative thoughts at night and then having my phone as part of that doesn't mm. help either right. yeah things that i a message that i could look at in the morning and think oh yeah that's fine if I look at it at a certain time at night before I go to bed, I might end up thinking about that the whole time and then I can't get to sleep and Mm -hmm. it becomes something that it shouldn't be because of the time of day and because of the circumstances. The final figure that we're going to be talking about today is an image of the 11 Disney princesses which include Jasmine, Snow White, Mulan, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Pocahontas, Belle and... Ariel from The Little Mermaid. And the reason that we wanted to talk about this is it feels like a very long time ago, but in the news, it was raised by Kira Knightley and Kristen Bell um, in context of how they're raising their daughters and them not wanting and banning certain films mm-hmm. from their houses. What was your immediate
0: reaction to seeing <clears throat> that they had banned and used that word? To be honest, don't have an opinion as to whether they banned them or not i was just led to think about why do we grow up with this sort of these sorts of stories as the goal as the model of relationships i don't think i'd ever seen a real life male female relationship or female character that wasn't you know in a disney story until i was probably 8 or 9 years old or older or older why do we need it to be that way if mm. that makes sense
1: i think one of many and why do we
0: need princesses why do we love the idea of being a princess i all i wanted to do when i was young was dress as a princess all i wanted to be was a princess constantly mm. why so i've mm. got quite
1: a different answer to many people i think because okay. I have studied fairy tales in a wider context of those stories. Mm -hmm. And what we see in Disney are quite twisted fragments of very, very ancient fairy tales that have been told for thousands and thousands and thousands of years Mm -hmm. and were never written down until fairly recently. And I think that there's, for me, there's a deep ancient tradition that I think that I personally have a pull towards mm-hmm. that is a part of these fairy tales. But the way that they're presented in Disney has been totally warped and made thinner so that their necks are the same size as their waists and the happily ever after is the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of stripping away of their boldness or their cleverness or their inquisitive...
0: Have married and therefore escape or oh i don't have any money and i'm living with some dwarves and oh okay i'm not really sure what to do and then mm. boom and this evil witch tries to kill me okay i get married you know prince saves me it's this being saved and being married and for me the marriage thing really really got me i just thought yeah i think it did it still i just does can't do it i just can't like what if i don't get married then what do i do like that's, it sort of gives you this uh, idea that that's what you're working up to always.
1: Yeah. I think I have two responses to that. So I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that this is Disney's stripping back of ancient stories. I think that this is what has not come into the media coverage of it. Nobody's talked about the original stories. And even when they do, they talk about the original stories as things that were written down Mm. and are quite often quite gruesome yeah aren't they are they gruesome yeah loads of them are very gruesome yeah but they have more to them so for example cinderella Mm. is much more about the pain of losing your mother Mm. and how that can be guiding you and the importance of nature in your life like they they don't give that the same there's weight. There's hint
0: to it. You kind of do get this pain from her when she has this very awful stepmother and you do mm. feel like there's a huge loss. Well, say And the yeah. birds and the mice and you can see the sort of elements of it but that's not the emphasis of the story by any means.
1: No, and what I looked at when I was at university was all of these ancient symbols which was all about Mother Earth mm. and the moon and nature and apples and mm, roses. Apples. Oh
0: God. Apples okay. And ro- so yeah.
1: all of this, these are all a very, they're ancient symbols from an ancient way of thinking and looking after our world and looking at spirits, mm. which I still think is really important. And I think this is why we still hold on to fairy tales so much. Do you much. think
0: the reason why um, those main characters and those Disney princesses are female is, to, is almost a nod to Mother Earth? Oh, totally. Way. Because it's part of the archetype. Because now I'm, now I'm thinking about it, don't have any disney pr- like about stories about men in that context in the sense that they well, are the, where, yeah because they're they're just the accessory that kind of comes in at the end it's or like the beginning or the the, the, the the sort of on the horseback on the horseback man. man oh quite handsome then get married okay great but he's not really a personality he's no exactly just a face
1: so this is where it's it's a the modern interpretations of these fairy tales and the way that are presented by Disney, it's not only impacting women, it's impacting men as well because absolutely, they ha- in almost every case they have to be rich and handsome mm-hmm. and able to fight.
0: That's right. not helpful. Well, let me just refer back to Billie Jean King's uh, Desert Island Disc and she said, All women are raised, or were, raised to be ladylike and all men to be brave. And I think that that's where the Disney thing really plays into the mm. male thing. Like you said, they're all just handsome, tall, and can But fight. yeah, they don't actually
1: have anything to say. No. And they're also sort of a bit one-track-minded. And yeah. And also what's weird is lots of them, they have to get married as because their father has told them that they've got to find a bride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that bride. also oh, plays, <laughs> plays into it as well. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, it's so complicated. But these archetypes, again, they're very, very interesting. And Jung, the psychoanalyst, talks about them a lot. Mm. So the prince is quite often the hero. Yep. Who's a kind of, it's a coming of age. They have to prove themselves and fight for what they believe in. And then it's a sort of triumph of good over evil. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what all the fairy tales are yep. about. And then again with the archetypes with the women you've got the young maiden yeah. you've got the old wise woman who yeah. quite often is oppressed into an evil thing by Disney yeah. and by fairy tales
0: or a older fairy godmother who yeah. is like But older then things thing that...
1: like the the three fairies in sleeping beauty mm. that is a like a wonderful trio of feminine support that nobody ever talks about mm. or the fairy godmother that isn't in original fairy tales, but it is a mm. sort of help. I guess it's a
0: nod yeah, that's to her, what a godmother her mother is. and her love and oh, like they're, unconditional. They're fairy, you know, you're very good. Like a godmother, that's what a godmother's role yeah. is in a way. It's but supposed to be parental, but not. The
1: end goal is sort of twisted because it's mm. about her finding her prince and going to the ball and looking right. beautiful. In an original telling of it, Cinderella actually runs away from the prince three times and he has to really prove what he wants and like how much he loves her or this is how i interpreted it anyway there's much more of a it's not just straight away i love you you love me we're going to be together there's more depth to it and there are more characters that play more roles
0: well I it's think not so simplistic i, I think and this is
1: what frustrates me about the disney interpretation well, well, the
0: simplistic it. aspect of it i think is what you're raised to think what relationships between you know, whoever you and your life partner is, whether that's male, female, 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 whatever, you feel like it's supposed to be simplistic. You feel like you'll be like, okay, I'm going to meet the person. Yeah. That's it. When you know, you know. Yeah. No, no. (laughs) You don't always know. And that the happily ever after is the end of the story. No! The happily ever after can happen again and again and again and again and then it can be happily ever after and Mm -hmm. then it goes wrong Mm -hmm. and then, you know, something else happens and then it goes wrong. That's but but we're we're told this narrative from a very young age, and I think that's what the destructive thing is is when you finally grow up and you think, "Oh, actually, it's not really this easy, and you can have someone who is your prince charming, and it'd be a like a v- very difficult. All sorts of things can happen, all sorts of things come in that come like life mm-hmm. things happen, mm-hmm. and it's not just as simple as, "Oh, the shoe fits." He's handsome, yeah, let's go get married. That's Done. the other
1: thing about Cinderella is that the ugly stepsisters were told to cut off their toes by their mother in order to fit the shoe to get the guy to get the guy, yeah, in the original context, as I've read it, that's not told in a pers- like a positive way, mm. it's showing how twisted the mother is that they want that for their daughters so much that they will physically harm Mm, them in order to get
0: it to fit but that's but that's sort of what happened in society anyway if you think about it i mean Mm. it's only so recently that you can be you know a woman and have your own money your own property your own job you can vote before Mm. it was you need to marry the right person or you are totally screwed Mm -hmm.
1: but i mean my point is that lots of the feminist criticism of fairy tales doesn't take into account the the other stories
0: and mm-hmm. the context that comes behind it which was covered but what they're commenting on is what the thing that is the thing we were speaking about and that it shouldn't we shouldn't give these messages to girls yes and that you should which I, change yourself in any way to which i agree with completely but they're showing so
1: they're showing the fairy tales as promoting that you should change yourself in order to make yourself right for a relationship but actually in some cases that's not what they're saying at all they're mm. saying that there are people who will fall in love and then this is the other thing that i think is not really talked about is how if you are in a great relationship in a feminist context it sometimes feels weird to talk about that because you think that people are going to say well that's not everything and you're Mm. not saying that that's everything but Mm. it can be a huge part of what you want Mm -hmm. and is there something so wrong with that yeah like what's so awful about falling in love and wanting that mm. you can have that as part of what you want That sh- that we're not saying that that
0: has to be the only goal which mm. quite often is promoted by fairy tales but i think the, arg- the i think the argument is is that is is the reason that you want that so much because of the conditioning that you've had partially due to Disney princesses yes probably same with like bras and hair removal right we're all all like I love to wear a bra like I love my underwear or I love hair removal it makes me feel so great Mm. does it or is it because of what you've always been taught
1: yeah this is what Scarlett curtis i think is so good at raising in her book mm. and the way that it's been curated and all these voices that come into the book feminists don't wear pink you mm. can want and do whatever you want yeah. and you can
0: still call yourself a yeah feminist. no i love that she goes in the feminist she's like, just bring let's bring your own boy because i'm single and i quite like to meet someone <laughs> you know that's quite that's you don't hear feminism equated with that you no. don't you don't hear that I, I can call myself a feminist and still
1: say that my favorite fairy tale when Mm. I was growing up and the film that I will probably
0: watch the most was Sleeping Beauty interesting one with Cinderella which leads me on to my next question okay we're talking about growing up Charlotte yeah so she was your favourite why was she your favourite because she had long blonde hair okay and is that who you most identified with yes okay which is a problem
1: because all of the slightly better more empowered in the way that Disney represented them characters like Ariel Jasmine Mulan
0: Pocahontas didn't, but in *Feminists Don't Wear Pink*, they've said that Ariel turned herself into a human and therefore had two legs and therefore that implies a <laughs> vagina in order to get. No, a, not necessarily. It's true, but it's just again, it's beauty. again Disney. Twisting
1: yeah. the initial spark, which was to want to be part of the humans and want to experience a different world and go and do it and yeah. defy her father, and then it being and it's, then it becomes much more about falling in love. Yeah. And then the other thing is that Hans and Christian Andersen is it's actually about the dangers of young love. Yeah. And there isn't a happily ever after at all. Well, anyway, what was your... your n- n- but I didn't identify with any of those... No, neither.
0: Uh, and actually, ambition. To, be, to be... to be This may be worse uh, than, than ha- what you identified as Sleeping Beauty. So if you ask me who my favourite was... Yeah. My favourite story, hands down, was Cinderella. Loved it. Right? Because isn't that... Do you that, think the fact that she's
1: blonde has something to do with it? Because we're both um, blonde and we identify with people
0: who are yes blonde. but I, he also again oh this is so bad
1: <sighs> Can't people i
0: know are going to be listening to this um it's because the prince was the best looking <laughs> in <Cinderella. laughs> yes in my opinion <laughs> i love it so that was why it was my favorite however even when it, goes on, it goes on it goes on no no i knew <laughs> I, oh no i first felt feelings for males when I was probably in year one or year two. Oh yeah no, I agree with that yeah, I yeah. can remember so I fancying could... people in year oh, one exactly year one so I identified that really early on but my favorite dress wasn't Cinderella my favorite dress was Belle interesting I've never liked yellow never lo- identified with no, Belle because it was big it was bigger and it felt
1: much more
0: grand see I liked
1: the Sleeping Beauty dress which they
0: fight over pink and blue at the end Interesting. No, I like the big puffy skirt. And the, the princess I liked least... Oh, God, again. Oh, this is so bad. No. Okay. It's all about starting conversations. So it's not that I liked her the least. I just didn't want to wear trousers. So I didn't like Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd always not want to be Jasmine playing princesses. Yeah. Now, isn't that awful? Now, I would agree with Kira Knightley and Kristen Bell. I would not want my daughter growing up with that mentality, and I don't think she will, I honestly don't, because I don't think that I'm going to have those sorts, you know, I think by that point, we'll have so many empowering young female, you know, even Brave or Frozen, other sort of more modern Disney stories that we yeah. have now, but isn't that shocking, to, to, you know, to look back and think, I loved those stories for those reasons, and yeah. also my next question to you, do we need fantasies of any description? Yes. And is that just another example of a fantasy is that why twilight is so popular is that why 50 shades is so popular we just need some kind of fantasy to alleviate what me what may be the drudgery of normal life
1: yes i think we do and i think that's partly why fairy tales have been and will be so popular because there is this imaginative irrational side of it where people can live forever and roses kind of grow to cover an entire kingdom and all of that, and that suddenly makes <clears throat> sense yeah yeah i think that that's a really i think that's why they're so compelling especially for children who are very imaginative and before we finish I just wanted to say a thank you to Lizzie and Connie who both did their dissertations on fairy tales and very Mm. kindly sent them over for us to have a read yeah I really enjoyed it yeah and it really reshaped what I thought about certain Disney fairy tales especially in terms of the commercial aspect of it absolutely because so much of what they were doing was about selling it to the audience at the time and then making much more money from it from the theme parks and the dolls which have the sparkly
0: dresses and also all of that i know this sounds really dumb but i didn't even realize the significance of how much we forget isn't possible like the i think it's what connie calls the metaphysics of it she's like you just suddenly are like yes they all fell asleep for a hundred years and didn't age and this (laughs) prince randomly just walked up and yeah. It'll finish, you know stuff yeah. like that and the, you just don't think about that being oh that's not and once upon a time and happily ever after it's all mm. and modern
1: topics that we talk about such as consent and body positivity in the context of those films which were made i mean some of them in 1930s yeah but they're still being shown to children today and those messages are very impactful Mm -hmm. and we need to be more diverse in what we're talking about we need to have an education around these films i think that banning them makes it kind of forbidden fruit yeah and i think it's much more about having the conversations around it than just flat out saying these are wrong don't read them don't watch them Mm. don't talk about it what, what are your Yeah, thoughts on no, that? definitely,
0: and just and having more modern stories like Moana, like Brave, like Frozen. If anyone hasn't up, seen Moana, you know, incredible, it's so good. You know, we've got so many more stories now that we can tell. And yes, Disney princesses are always going to be referred to because they're very popular. But I think, I think it's just one of those things you need to just approach with caution because the narrative is so, yeah. oh my god, insular. In mm-hmm. that, it's just like, boom, marriage, happily ever after. And we need to really reiterate that that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. And I think things like, you know, people, people, you know, now have blogs and podcasts, and that's the great thing about things like Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook and people getting more of an insight into what people's lives are actually like. And yeah. we just need to make sure we there's, do that. Yeah,
1: the podcast that you were
0: talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Couples
0: therapy and where shall we begin. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a thousand different ways to have a relationship. Mm. that aren't happily ever after Mm -hmm.
1: and just being additive in it it's the same way that Mm -hmm. I feel about people saying that we should tear down sculptures or paintings that have been done in the past Mm -hmm. because they're not inclusive or whatever and they promote a damaging image, I think that I, I often agree that they promote a damaging image, but I also think that it's about telling more around it and mm. then introducing totally new sculptures, totally mm. new paintings, new Absolutely. films like Moana where there's no love interest and she's all, it's all about a coming-of-age story. It's set in, in, in and around New Zealand mm. and all of those symbols I was talking about, mm. like roses, moon,
0: mm. apples... Yeah. Spiral is another huge goddess even, symbol, e- and that is a huge part inter- of that. Like it's, it's okay; it's so okay to have a love interest. Totally, like, that's what we all want as humans: is is love. That is what our that's what we're born to do mm. is find love in in so many ways. You know, whether that's friendships or you know relationships or your creations, creations, your work, whatever. But we need to develop both of those characters and just show a more realistic slant to it. And I think as well, now we need to show, you know equally two female characters and two male characters and Mm -hmm. no it's not it it doesn't have to just be be white male and females happily ever after with basically a faceless man just swooping in at the end Mm -hmm. i think that's what the issue is you know we really need to just show much more of a diverse pool of stories thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the figure podcast it definitely feels good to be back. It's so good to be back. Um, thank you so much to everyone who said so many nice things while we were away. I had a lot of people that I love that some people commented. As to, yeah, I know. That was fab- fabulous. So thank you so much. As usual, please, please get in contact um, via email. You can email us at thefigurepodcast at gmail.com or Twitter at figurepodcast. And remember that on our Instagram is where we will post the images of everything that we speak about today. Until next week. Bye-bye.